Cosmic Salon again. Nice to be here as always. The whole point of this place, of this magical salon, is to interact with interesting people and have chats and conversations that seem relevant to the time and space we are in. And so with that, I have one of my very favorite people in the world. Now, I'm not a friend of his. We're just acquaintances. He's been on my other shows. But I have followed him since the beginning. And if you're listening to this, you already know it's Jason Quit. His initial bang into the world, into the outer world, was felt far and wide. <laughs> and it just continues to emanate outward. And so Jason has a book out right now that is uh, a must-have, Egyptian Postures of Power. And this is about mysticism, meditation, movements, and all that. Jason has long been talking about Qigong and these kinds of breath work and the power of viewing the power of dreaming, really, and also through his website, The Crystal Sun, has amazing crystals. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. I definitely recommend you go there. And I think everyone that's going to be listening to this knows Jason and knows this website, but he does have the power crystals. And all the people that love the power crystals, like me, the Oralite 23 baby, that's one of my favorites. It's one of my things. And the Shungite, Jason has it. So with that, I want to bring Jason Quit into the Cosmic Salon. Welcome, Jason. It's great to be back. Yes, uh, it is great to be back, even though we're in a different show, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're always great, with, great to speak with you again. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's it's all weird, the construct around us, right? I want to have you just introduce yourself a little bit, but with who you are right now, Jason, with the Jason that I'm talking to as far as this twelve uh, two eighteen twenty two. what's going on for you? Who are you right now? I am... <laughs> in one of the most locked down provinces in the world. Yes. Uh, which is starting to open up again. Uh, so I'm in, I'm in Ontario, Canada, by the way, the, the heart of what's going on now in the world, it seems. And uh, so basically for the past couple of years, I've been in my home. I haven't left the country and um, really have taken that time to go inwards, uh, figure out my life. Because as you know, uh, before the lockdowns in uh, 2020, um, I, I've been traveling. Yes. I, my life has been travel. 
So I, I go to Japan for a couple months out of the year. I'm all over the States. And uh, obviously, I've been teaching the Qigong and, and lecturing on astral travel, mysticism, meditations, and things like that. And then when uh, COVID hit, all that stopped. And I kind of, um, I even stopped all interviews. I didn't even uh, do any shows, really. And I just focused on myself and my family. Um, and then in um, September of this year, I decided that it was time for me to come back. And that way, I was going to write the Egyptian Postures of Power book. And I did have the original book out for many years, actually since 2000. And when did I first get it out? It's got to be 2007, 2008 was the first um, copy of it. Um, but it was just the postures. It was just me showing uh, the movements and describing what they do with no real background information. And when I came into the I would say when I came into the community, and this was in 2015, mm. um, I wasn't really prepared to be, um, I want to just say, I didn't know that I was going to be propelled worldwide. Yeah, you know? that love bombed. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that because um, um, I, wrote, like, I wrote a book with my friend Bob Mitchell, and it was about uh, my experiences astral traveling. Uh, which is no longer available. I have to redo that book too. <laughs> but when I came out with that book, suddenly everybody wanted to talk to me. Um, we were booking maybe even two shows a day. Uh, it was it was intense in 2015. And everybody back then said, we want the Egyptian Postures book. So I had a copy of that book, which was just about like, um, really, it was about 40, 50 pages. It was just, you know, a picture book showing the postures and how to do it. And I just put that out there. And ever since I did that, it was, there was something weighing on me where I had to kind of, you know, you know, when you let something out into the world and it just takes on a life of its own <laughs> and I'm trying to, <laughs> to, to reel it back because it wasn't complete. It wasn't complete. And I always, it kept me up at night. I always wanted to finish that book and actually make it a book. I wanted it to have um, information in it um, about mysticism, where these ideas come from, how it influenced me, and uh, getting into very deep religious or spiritual concepts that have been uh, passed down for thousands of years in what we understand today as um, religious doctrine or uh, metaphysical um, mysticism, the occult, all these things had an origin. And I really wanted to uh, sit down and tell that story of where is the origin of these thoughts? Um, how did these religions get this information? How did the mystics and the occultists understand what they were doing, or even how magic was first performed. or um, So I really wanted to get to the roots of all these things, and that is what the Egyptian Postures of Power book is about. Um, so I spent uh, the past many months um, putting this book together, and I just finally released it very quietly. <laughs> I did a very quiet release 
you know, didn't do coast to coast yet. Didn't do any big shows yet because I just want to get it to the people that know yes. and understand it first, because there is a lot of controversial things in there. And those that understand what metaphysics or mysticism or occult, they could easily read between the lines of what I'm saying and what um, I put in there. So I, I really just wanted to kind of um, get my thoughts on paper so I never have to think about it again. <laughs> yes, I love that you were haunted by it, really, that it wanted to be more. I call this the muse, though, and you're a musician, you understand all this. It was it was out there, but it, it needed to be more. And this kind of courting of psychic energy, really, of magical energy through your other channels of understanding how this all works out needed to express itself in this form. And now it's a big baby out there. It really feels like this. I don't have children. That's the truth. I don't have children. I'm 40 years old. And this is like birthing a baby. This yes. has my name on it. And I poured my my love for years. You know, I've been doing this since at least 2002. So it's been like 20 years yeah. of going down this path. And, you know, it's when I first started um, this, you know, what people would describe as a, an awakening process of, of the veil thinning and being able to interact or understand um, the spiritual world, you are like a baby thrown into the... the the ocean, you know, and, and it's sink or swim. And back then, you know, it, it took how many years? I think it took about 10 to 15 years just to be grounded enough to talk about the information. Mm. So this is not like an overnight thing where it's like something happened and then you're just screaming it from the rooftop. You know, this is... <laughs> what the spiritual information is, or this is what you know the beings told me, and it's the truth. Yeah, I was never like that. I had to really sit with this information, and I really had to kind of uh, put it through the test of my own experiences in life. And I've always been an exceptionally skeptical person. Um, most people would describe me as cynical. <laughs> you know, I just don't believe anybody or anything. I'm all I always have my guard up. Yeah. And that did not change when I started to uh have these spiritual experiences. So even though something would happen, I'd always think to myself, Am I being deceived? Is this something that is uh trying to sway my intelligence or trying to sway my reality, basically? So I really came into this being very grounded. I, I think I came into this being very grounded. And I watched so many people um, for 20 years uh, because when I came into this, I started to go to different classes. I started to become friends with many channelers and psychics, healers, shamans. And I've listened to all these people for so many years and I've watched how their information has come into the community. I've seen how it's been accepted by the community, and I've seen how it's been destroyed by the community yes, as well. Yes, 
I just kind of stand back and, and watch all of this and try to understand, you know, where is this information coming from? Why is it coming? And why is it picking certain people to kind of place it into our community or general consciousness? And a lot of the answers that I've come to accept, most people would not like those answers. Mm-hmm. And this has kind of put me, I kind of like it, it's kind of put me on the outskirts of the community because everybody wants to believe, everybody wants to have a, a perspective of um, what is going on. And if it falls in line with the current belief systems, then they'll push it even harder. And I've always kind of stepped back and said, um, just just wait a minute, wait a couple of years, actually, before you start jumping on this information, because um, things change very quickly. And I think that's the best advice for someone new coming into the scene is just don't go all in. Yeah. I because agree. You'll, you'll get trapped. Yes. Oh, there's so many traps. Well, it's like the it's like uh going forth by day. It's all basically a bunch of traps to avoid and remain intact. For me, looking at the realm and then when we're bringing it up into the physical realm and the community at large, it is very tricky. There's a bunch of stuff coming together that creates this tricky aspect to what's going on in the outer outer world in the community so to speak and one of the things that is overlooked is the fact that everyone's been entrained with high flicker rates within this uh, electromagnetic soup and all this how fast everything has to be uh, it's 30 seconds here 30 seconds there flash poetry flash fiction that consumption of raw core spiritual energy gets thrown in the mix and it's enjoyed for a second and then all of a sudden when it's consumed and it comes out the other end this is when you start seeing this picking a part of it and well what's in here and what what about this person you start seeing all the attacks i've watched it come and go and i'm also an outlander in this community because I think that we need to have a lot more integration of shadow content and personal content before we start really pushing outward. And so people get very aggressive. Convictions really push people into an interesting place to observe, for sure. But if you're on the other end of it, it's it can be rather nasty. And so the consumption aspect, as I'm getting in here, the idea that you put out this initial material through your first book and yet you'd already had this book, the exercises going, the basic core of what it is, really the the kernel, the soul of it. And through this whole ride you went on, which has been monumental, it's been interesting to watch your journey from afar. And so now that you have this baby out there and we're talking about this consumptive rate that seems ravenous in all these different communities that coalesce, um, you know, I guess more mm, 
a friendly way to say, it, I guess, would be in the alternative world that encapsulates spirituality and also in enfolds the UFO world and the crypto world. And I mean, crypto critters, right? <laughs> and, but, <laughs> but it can be crypto, cryptocurrency because that's also getting folded into the greater alternative world or has been. And now that's all spilling out. But the idea of this being consumed on that level and then picked apart what are your thoughts on that? Because at some level, you just let it go. Once you've birthed it out, you let it go. You let it be what it needs to be. Everyone chews it up. And then there's always some sort of, there's always, there's always a maggot around. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there always is. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been accused of, you know, like anti-religion, anti-Christ, you're going to hell. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've I've been put in that corner before, which I, I never really understood why, because I'm always, I'm like the, the truth seeker. I'm always trying to find the source of things. It's the spiritual journey, the spiritual path. And, you know, to, to seek it, you have to have an open mind, but you also have to have discernment and, you have, and you'll have to have your guard up. You know, there are things that will, like you say, ensnare you in a net. And trust me, I've, I've been there. And thank God, you know, you, you very quickly you can start to see that indeed what you're looking into is pulling your energy in another direction and then you step back. The spiritual path, or even the writing of this book, it's not something to be consumed quickly and then, okay, I'm on to the next thing. You know, what what we're discussing is um, a spiritual journey, a path that once you think you know the answer, you lost. <laughs> yes, you know? that's part of the test. <laughs> right. It's, it's an ever-going evolution of a spiritual path. And it's never finished. And there are many very popular people out there that push this kind of, um, which I would think it's a it's a religious thing. It's like a new age religious thing of um, ascension, or you know you're going to reach this kind of plateau and suddenly you're going to be this basically godlike figure that is free from everything. And from my teachings or understandings. It's the it's the complete opposite. It's you are already that. Yes. The only thing is the pursuit of the knowledge with the spirituality to to fully integrate your true self as you are within the physical realm. And by doing that, the, the, what is the tests and trials and and you know, what is that? It's suffering. It's it's living by experience. It's not something you could read in a book and intellectualize and say, okay, I, I completely understand this concept. I completely understand this concept because I read it. I heard this amazing speaker talk to me about it. But knowing something and living it is two completely different things. 
you know, even when you know something, <laughs> yes, it, you know, even when you know something, when it happens to you in real life, all that knowledge is thrown out the window and you're just reacting because you're finally put into that learning experience, you know, and a lot of the spiritual people or a lot of the, the, the religious dogma of spirituality is almost like suffering is evil. And if something negative happens to you, therefore you have this evil inside of you basically. And until you deal with that, more evil is going to, to, or more bad things will happen to you. And I don't, I think that is not a great way of communicating uh, spirituality um, because even when bad things happened to me or I had what people would perceive as a negative experience spiritually, uh, once the dust settles, you realize that those are your best teachings you've ever received. And you're a changed person because of it, and it's changed you for the better. It's made you stronger, it's made you smarter, and it's gotten you closer to your spiritual truth or whatever your path is going down. And to just kind of be in euphoric spirituality, in my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, I view that as a form of escapism. As in, it's almost like a drug. You want to push all the negative, all the bad, all the realities of the world away from you and pretend that it doesn't exist and just focus on, you know, love, light, and rainbows. <laughs> and suddenly you're going to be an enlightened individual. <laughs> it's not uh, what happens, in my opinion. In my opinion, uh, spiritual growth, um, and ex it all comes from this concept of we are placed in a physical world that has challenges. Everything is a challenge. We, we wake up, we have to find shelter, <laughs> we have to work for food. Um, everything in life is uh, a type of work. It's a type of effort you have to give in order to receive. And it's by going out into the wilderness, uh, facing your fears, learning about your environment, which is tough. We live in a very rough environment. It's by overcoming that environment that we start to become human. Mm. And this is what we are here to be, is we are here to be humans. Yes. And to be a human grounded in this world, um, it's like, uh, it's looked down upon as like, well, you know, you're the beast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, this is, this is the devil's world. You don't want to be part of the devil's world. You want to be, um, you know, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, like this, this whole concept of these polarities. But how is that found? Um, through mysticism, it's found through the integration of the all, which is you have to be in balance. You need um, the challenges of the world, uh, the chaos of the world, to mold and shape you so you actually understand what you are 
and what you're capable of becoming. And without that force, that opposite force, um, there is no way that you will see that and you will remain unconscious to that struggle. So there's that. This is a big deal. And for people that are not engaging in this kind of observational awareness of self within place and space where we are, you're really blinding yourself and it, it becomes difficult, but it's we need to give ourselves permission to see things clearly. And that's difficult. It's very difficult depending on where one starts. But one of the things that I'm constantly reminded of in my journeys, in my spiritual journeys, in my astral journeys, in my soul journeys, all this space and all this language about being conscious in a, in any realm is that there's a thread of continuity throughout every space. So what I mean by that is everywhere I go, I recognize, and we are pattern recognizers, I recognize familiar forms. I recognize the, the humanoid form. I recognize basic forms and shapes like tables and environments and uh, shelters. And they may all look a little different, but these things, these symbols out there throughout the dimensional realities, and we can keep that very real, keep it very real, like within dreams, within active imagination, within daydreams and creative writing, wherever that takes you, but also within near-death experiences. And then we can go way far out. But one thing is there's a continuity in architecture. And I've always thought this was an interesting thing to consider when one looks at these ideas of certain mythos and their the savior mythos and getting out of this place and that whole idea of what I guess traditionally in the modern terms heaven is considered, you know, where it's like this place of no burden and there's a sense that it's different, way different than this. Same with hell and, and of course people playing with these dualities. But for me, Jason, everything kind of looks the same and the difference between these dimensional shifts is vast. It is vast. But because of the nature of facsimile, because there's a certain continuity of architecture and form, it can be easy to deceive yourself into thinking you are in one place when you're actually in another. So you may wake up and think you're having your Jason quit life right here in the 21st century. And, and yet you may actually be somewhere vastly different. And you know this from, mm -hmm. from your travels. And that's what I'm trying to get at is that I think it seems to me looking out that people expect this, these big changes, these big shifts, and all of a sudden, boom, it's different. And this is part of the testing ground that we're in. This is part of, are you paying attention are you really paying attention? Are you observing? Are you interacting with this feedback loop of consciousness? And that's the thing here. It's tricky. It all kind of looks the same. And it has to do with this kind of communication. And how does 
um, let's say, a dimensional consciousness communicate with you. And this is where it gets very uh, tricky to navigate because, for example, what I found very interesting is when I would communicate with uh, visitors, you know, I, I don't really, I wouldn't call them extraterrestrial, I'd call them spiritual or, or in this dimensional astral place. Yes. Uh, many of them, if not all of them, uh, when they would communicate, they wouldn't be speaking. They would be um, using your voice in your head. Yes. So it's like, uh, it's a form of telepathy, but it's like you're talking to yourself. It's like another mind. And when you're dreaming, for example, and remember, um, ancient cultures, the dream was the doorway to the spirit world. Yes. And that's what the <laughs> dreams dreams were. And dreams are very symbolic, very symbolic. And it's it's a different way of communicating uh, things to you. You know, like, you know, you have a, a dream and it's a weird dream and there's like all these symbols or animals or, or locations and you wake up and you're like, what is that? And then, you know, you open up, you know, totem, what are totem animals and you read about what animal you saw and there's this um, archetypal communication that's trying to give you messages of maybe uh, what you're going through at the time, or maybe there's warnings of something that's going to come your way soon. It's the same thing with nature, because, you know, if you strip away everything, um, you know, the, the, the real the real world, <laughs> the real reality is nature. You live on planet Earth. Yes. Your body is made up of the Earth. You consume the Earth to keep you alive. And you have to live within that environment. You can't, you know, close yourself off from it. So if you strip everything away and you're this person of the Earth, then how does the earth communicate with you? Well, it could communicate with you through dreams. There's um, many times where, you know, if you're, you, let's say you're sleeping outside, especially if you, you like camping, you're sleeping uh, in the woods. I can't tell you how many prophetic dreams I've had sleeping outside, just breathing real air, being by nature, being by water. It it has this effect on you, but it's it's not really an effect. It's it's more of um, the lines of communication are starting to open to you. Um, so, in my personal belief, is this whole awakening process is not just about ascension. It's not about you know opening to the you know these powers of I could read your mind or levitate or speak to spirits. I, I think that's all like the magic tricks of the awakening. Um, but what the awakening really is, is opening your lines of communication, opening your lines of accessibility and sensitivity to who you are and the environment you are living in. So you start to communicate with the different dimensions of that space. And, um, you know, I come from a background that um, 
I was very pulled into uh, the Native American type of consciousness. Yeah, I studied uh, different methods of shamanism, and I was always taught that when you enter a space, when you're going to a new location, you basically like get on uh, your hands and, and knees and touch the earth and thank it for welcoming you in that, in that place because you're like a stranger to this new environment. And there are things that live there that you're unaware of. There's things in other dimensions in this kind of earth plane. There's things that have, or there's beings that have lived in that environment before you ever stepped foot in it. Uh, could be very, very ancient energies. So if you come into an environment completely disconnected or um, not respecting the land, there are things there that can give you a slap. You know, and we we don't understand these things and we, we automatically go to um, there's demons or something wrong here, uh, negative energy. But the the case is that it was through your unconscious, through your disconnection from that place and breaking certain rules that things are not going to like you being there. So we have to kind of open up our communication again to understand uh, our place and the responsibility we have by walking in different places and what we carry into those places may not be acceptable. So, um, again, this whole awakening thing has to do with our true place of who we are. It's know thyself, know where you are on this earth, and know that um, you are the earth in a sense. And consciousness is beyond your comprehension that you are. And it travels throughout everything. So if you know, if you're talking about these these gifts of let's say like telepathy or bilocation or or astral travel or past life or jumping timelines, people think that that is something special. Um, once you start to open these lines of communication, you start to realize that that is just the nature of consciousness. Like that is the normal way of living, and somehow um, it's been suppressed, or we're just not ready to handle that type of responsibility or knowledge yet. That's a big deal. I agree with you on all of this, and. One of the things that I feel is so important to get out there is these abilities that you were just speaking about, the clairs, just like dreaming, these are tools in your toolbox and we all have access to them. It's a matter of understanding them. It's a matter of integrating them ultimately. But one of the things that was really striking me earlier is this beautiful, I guess, I don't even know how to present it well. This beautiful idea of moving into a new space. So whether you go from Canada to New Zealand, you know, you you use that method, the method of travel to get there, uh, whatever it is for the realm you're in. And, you know, because it, it, there's a lot going on with just how we travel 
in the material world because we're we're talking about all these systems that are part of us our emotional system that may have taken us already ahead and is emotionally connecting with New Zealand and the place we're headed towards the mind, you know, that, that got it all set up and has an agenda, uh, the psychic stuff that's already sensing what's in the realm, what's going to be in that space. Once I get there, the physical aspect of traversing the ocean and, uh, using our modes of travel, to get there. There's this, all the stuff that goes into play and a lot of it just falls into the autonomic process. And we, we think lightly of it. We go without notice of how much is actually going on to get us from one place to another, really even from one room to another. And this speaks to a greater awareness of realm and dimension and being. However, once we get physically into the new space. This is something that has always struck me, Jason, is that you are a stranger in this space. You are a stranger to this space and to approach it with a sense of reverence is always a good idea. And whether whether you're going into the wood or to New Zealand or to another country or you're in a lucid experience wherever that is and you move from one plane to another this idea of reverence for the space is integral in in being a traveler a journeyman and this is something that was a hard lesson for me because i've i personally have always been just odd and um you know, for different ways, you know, just like you, you're extremely tall. There are just different ways that people will, you go into rooms and they all look, but it's not really ultimately about your physicality. It's about the energetic package you are as a being on a journey and how engaged and activated that is, how conscious basically you are. And so it's easy to find yourself in places where people are fearful of you. And, and we're talking about all kinds of ideas here. So when you present a book that has content that challenges some people's ideas of what they held as solid and true, this can be a life-changing experience to the open journey person that wants to engage in this presence, your presence within the book. When you come to a new place, say you go to New Zealand, like we're talking about, and you get off the plane and you're in this new place, there's a spirit of place, everyone knows this, there are those that dwell within it, the indigenous of the space at that time as you're in in it, and it takes a good amount of consciousness to come in in a gracious way. And what I see is a lot of sleepwalking going on, a lot of moving through fields of experience, fields of perception by people, like a bowl in the china shop, right? They're just knocking everything around. They're, they're, they're not respecting the space that they're moving into. And it's because of the, the degree of consciousness or lucidity at that moment. And so I want to, why I'm saying all this is I want to loop it around to the idea of the spiritual experience that to me is everything, but the idea that this is actually a personal experience we tap into and we are part of more than what we are. I don't 
subscribe to names for it because I'm looking at a, a core consciousness and then I can apply any name I want. Holy Mother Mary, whatever, Isis, Diana, um, you know, I mean, you can just plug and play all of the mythos. Mm-hmm. And so what I think that happens for me, so I, I'm going to pull this back. This is a very personal experience for me, just like say morning is. I may mourn something differently than you, but we both understand that this is a core element of an experience that we go through. And now my expressing of how that's affecting me is what makes this personal. And then that personal emanation of an expression goes out into the ether of collective shared experience. And so the new agers I find get lost in this idea of the oneness is all and we strip it away and all this stuff. Ultimately what I have discovered, Jason, is that I really have a zero point of consciousness that, Everywhere I've ever been, I'm still there, even though I am an emanation of this greater source. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's a, there's a differentiation here. Yes. Yes. And um, it's like everywhere you go, you've planted yourself in a time, in, in let's say like a time-space bubble. You know, you've walked the earth, you've been to certain places, and it's in your heart and your memory that you could express that. And some of the best meditative practices that I use is um, going back there. And, you know, I'll give an example of um, my childhood home. So I didn't live there for long, so it's a very old memory. But what I'll do is in a meditative state is I will go back to that house and I will, it's almost like I'll memorize every little detail of this house, even the scratches on the walls, you know, or the paint chips or, you know, uh, yes. what type of blanket was on the couch downstairs. And I would just meditate and go around that space like I was there. And I feel like I, it's, it's a strange thing to say. But sometimes um, it's not like a deja vu, deja vu thing, but it's almost like a future version of myself actually yes. travels back in time. And sometimes like when a, a spiritual presence comes into the house, it's actually not uh, something that's outside of me. It's actually me but projecting my thoughts back into that memory because in the, obviously the spiritual world, uh, it is not inside time and space, but you could place yourself in different points of time and space. So I, I do that type of meditation, but, you know, going back to this reverence, that's exactly what it is. And you have to treat every place you go, even the astral in this way and it's it's also the same with beings. Um, so many people, and I still fall into this as well, because, you know, how do you react when something's in your bedroom and you just get woken up in the middle of the night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, um, it has happened to me like two days ago, two or three days ago, is I'm falling asleep and literally there was this person standing in my room. 
Um, and it, it, it didn't even look like uh, like a ghost or a mist. It literally looked like a physical person was standing in my room. And when I woke up to that, even when you wake up and I'm, you know, my eyes are open, it's standing right there. You know, what do you think my first reaction is? It's <laughs> get the hell out. Like, yes. what the hell are you doing here? Pointing and screaming, get out, get out, get out. Protection. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then, and then, then I see it walk and disappear. And then I go to myself, I calm down. I'm like, oh man, I, I, that could have been an opportunity. I could have started asking questions. I could have done this. I could have done that. Come back, come back. (laughs) I want to ask you something. (laughs) But it's like these, these moments of experience that teach you these things, you know, and What I've really learned about this is the interaction between what we perceive as a positive being or what we perceive perceive as a negative being, your conduct should remain the same. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you perceive them to be on, that you stand in, uh, you always stand in respect. You don't kind of like jump to... I would say you don't jump to fear and you don't jump to love. You know, it's like you kind of stay right in that that middle zone of peace and more observe and try to understand what is going on in this moment and just be present in it. And I think that is like um, the best way for one, for these experiences to play out in a more positive way. And you actually get more insight or more information when you kind of stand back and not kind of go into it in that type of um, the reason I'm saying this is because in that world, you know, whatever name you give that world, the spiritual world, whatever these beings are, and I think there are many different categories, so it's not just one thing, but they can appear to you in a way that they believe would be better for contact. Yes. So it's never their true form is what I've seen a lot is um, they can come to you and they can look like a, what you would consider to be a spiritual being. They can come to you like bathed in light, for example. And that could be a deception. They can come um, in the form of someone you respect or love. They can come as a family member, for example. And that really just opens you up to, okay, this is really a loved one. So you have to kind of hold back on that instantly jumping to, oh, this is uh, my friend or this is my enemy. You have to just kind of stand in the middle and not go there to understand, okay, why is this being here? Why is it presenting itself in this way? And is this for my benefit or for their benefit? And nobody really teaches this stuff. No, this is baptism by fire, mostly. Exactly. And that's, it's a very strange place to be. Because there are many experiencers, there's many people that are being, you know, quote unquote, awakened. And 
it's like I hear these channeled messages all the time. I hear people talking about, you know, this angel came and took me and they told me this and this and that. In in my experiences, almost never, I mean, very small percentage of these experiences, do they ever tell you who they are, <laughs> for one. <laughs> it's completely mysterious. And instead of like coming and giving you an answer, it's more like you like you say, it's trial by fire. It's like they just kind of throw you into a situation and you either sink or swim. And at the end of it, they don't say good job or you suck. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's it's just something that, okay, if I didn't get it this time, hopefully maybe in a couple years the experience will happen again and I'll do it differently. And I believe this is the true sense of initiation. And I believe that um, the initiations that uh, different religious organizations um, perform are mostly symbolic. They're mostly um, for the intellectual mind to understand the initiation uh, process. But there is nothing like an initiation or an initiation experience in the spiritual Whereas you facing this other world and these other beings that you know is like a once in a lifetime event and it changes you. And, you know, a lot of people, they'll say, well, you know, you just had a really intense dream. It's a really intense dream you went through. And these experiences, when you go to sleep at night and then you have this experience, when you wake up in the morning, your life is different. Your life is completely changed. The way you perceived your life has changed. Everything has changed from that one moment of that initiation. And that cannot be measured in any sense. And it can't be, uh, you can't ignore it. It's like these initiations in the spiritual world which I believe, like you said, is like the true baptism of spirits. It's the, it's, the, it's the second birth, you know, to be born again into that spiritual world where it affects you so greatly that your life will never be the same. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing when it comes to integrating spiritual information or spiritual knowledge is that it comes in these moments that are indescribable. And this is also why a lot of people have spiritual experiences when they're, I would say, close to death or put into traumatic situations or getting into accidents, some trauma. Suddenly, these people have um, an awakening or experience of the spiritual world that you can try to convince them otherwise that they were just hallucinating or dreaming, but they know for the rest of their life, no, that happened to me. And I know a specific truth that was individualized for me and the time that it happened to me. I was in California. I was in Palm Springs. I was sitting at a table with uh, people and the age, age range of the people at this table were between 70 and 
80 or 70 and 90. So it was an older group at this table I was sitting at. And one of the gentlemen asked me what I do. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I just said the truth. Like, you know, I, I wrote these books and um, talk about astral travel and leaving your body and this and that. And and he he turns to me and he goes, it's true. It happened to me. And it was like the table went <laughs> yes. silent. And it's like even even his wife was looking at him. He goes, I never. And then he goes, I never told anybody. But when I was in the hospital, uh, I guess he was in the hospital. I forget what happened to him. But he said, I left my body. I was in the hospital. I watched myself. I watched the doctors. I went around the place, and then I came back to my body. I know it's real. Yes. <laughs> you know, but he didn't tell a soul that. Until someone like me was at the table who opened his mouth and said, yeah, this reality is real to me. And I gave that gentleman the courage to say, you're right. It happened to me. And I've given this a lot of thought. And it's like, you know how we're out here talking to people about these uh, spiritual experiences, um, you know, what we perceive reality to be. The person that's listening to us is not like a skeptic, you know? No one is coming to listen to our conversation that wants to disprove what we're saying. The reason people are coming to listen to us or even giving us the time of day is because we share yes. a personal experience with that person. Yes. So we're not trying to convince anybody about anything. You know, and a lot of these people that that really want to throw these people under the bus it's like they have never experienced this and it's completely out of their frame of reference. So the only thing they can do is say, you're making this up. Mm-hmm. You're manipulating people because it's never happened to me. Mm-hmm. And if it's never happened to me, it means you're full of it. <laughs> but the, the, the reason why I got popular in the first place was because I just told my story. Like, I didn't leave out any details. And then suddenly, the response back was, what you just said, Jason, is word for word what happened to me, and I've never told a soul. Yes. So that is why it's important for us to have these conversations, because what we're actually doing is we're we're vocalizing a human experience that has been demonized, that has been placed in the realm of fantasy. And in our lineage, all of our lineages, we have been taught that if you think this way, if you believe these things, we're going to come after you and make your life miserable. And that has been uh, a theme over the past couple thousand years uh, with li- with um, basically religious institutions coming down on these this type of information. So it's been really worked out of our system or gone into hiding. And because of that, it's it's extremely taboo to even acknowledge that these things are happening, let alone exist. And it's freeing for a lot of people. So it's like, you know, 
when this started to happen to me, I didn't have anybody to share this with. And, you know, the internet was not really a good place. I found some places, but if I would have went down those thoughts, I would have landed myself in some very dangerous territory because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of cults out there. You know, I'll just yes. say that for real. Um, there are cults of people that are looking for people that have these experiences and they are looking to explain those experiences in their way. Yep. And if you disagree with that, then, you know, you know, you know, a lot of people get into deep with these groups and it just ruins their lives. So the spiritual experience is basically individualized. I'll just put that out there. Yes. Um, That's what but, I was getting at. Yes. And um, uh, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, which I think I almost forgot why I'm bringing this up, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, um, yeah, I totally forgot where I was going with this, it's right. but it's okay. Well, it's, you, it's the free flow. Free it flow. is the free flow. But you spawned something very, very mm, significant in my head. And the term comes spiritually domesticated, where... <laughs> You mentioned the last couple aeons and how to have these experiences in the material realm, we had to have these dark side of the gatekeepers where you could only have those experiences if you went down these certain pathways and you got yourself into those modes of being, which I call all of it cult. They're all Mm -hmm. cultish from... All the different organized religion is to me a cult. And so, and that's, I'm saying that just like I say, government doesn't represent the people, right? There's a differentiation to be made here. The people of these different religions are having their experiences and they're seeking their experiences. The institution above them is where we start to look at some nefarious stuff. And then there's a questioning in there. This can spawn us into a bunch of different directions. But ultimately, if we allow it to push us into the idea of this is a personal experience and moving into the idea that you don't need permission and that somebody else's stories of an experience that you trust, that that seem they seem to be something, there's a je ne sais quoi. Right, where they're talking a truth and you can feel it. You get the goosebumps and stuff like that. You can, when you have your senses activated, you can tell who's telling you the truth from from their space, from their zero point, and not. And so it, it separates the cons. So the thing with this whole idea of being domesticated spiritually as a whole here in the realm is interesting because we have been taught to question self and self-knowledge and the idea of being too self-conscious, you know, how that turned into being a weapon, like that was a bad thing, like being Mm -hmm. how self-consciousness a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, if you really look at it, being self-conscious is being lucid. And so like this gentleman at the table where you served as the psychopomp, you are out of nowhere. There you are planted at that table And for that moment to acknowledge something, to represent something that was a deep experience for someone else. And then this opens up that whole circle he's sitting around, the the whole circle you're in. It opens up 
this. And by the process of this material realm where we are, where people perceive themselves as aging and getting older, that's one of the built-in characteristics of this realm to remind you that we're transient here and that we're transient everywhere, but that we're transient here, that you know this is a ride you're going to get off of, and that ultimately what's going on from the beginning of your birth to the next birth, which we could consider a death, is that we're being courted by that next big initiation. And all along the way, if one can open up into the experience and move deeper in instead of trying to ascend out, these initiations that you're talking about, these personal initiations that say can happen in a dream or walking in the forest and being lucid and all of a sudden realizing that you actually are connected to everything out there, the trees, the roots, the mycelium, the bugs. Like when you get into that state, I think colloquially, you know, people are calling it the flow state and they apply it to a lot of different things. But when you're actually within that force, there's no question. You know what, you, you may not know exactly what's going on. You may not understand it, but you understand that experience. So when you move out of it, you understand that somehow something was different and you shifted within it. These little initiations that create a bigger, a causal effect in our overall journey, these waves that become that that trickle that is you, that becomes a bigger wave and a bigger wave and a bigger wave until we hit that next big initiation where you know you can't get out of. You You can't get out of the fact that we will move through this material plane one way or another and transfigure through it. And and like Lazarus, I love the idea of Lazarus and rise into the new experience, the new birth, but that's within yourself. And I think that this domestication factor that's happened to us to us as as a group of beings riding in these temples, these, these, these human bodies in the, in this playground, in this realm need to think about, or it behooves us to think about this on other levels, as opposed to, I've got to go to work to pay bills, to get the shelters. We talked about earlier that there's more going on and we put it aside, but death courts us the whole time, all the way through. And if we're moving through the process in any degree of lucidity and accepting that there's more going on in dreams, there's more going on in that daydream you had, that experience you had in the forest, or that time that strange person sat next to you at a table and brought up astral travel, all this stuff compounds and all the rest of it floats away. And then this new process that's awakening from within, that new experience, which is very, very much not new. It's familiar. Death is familiar. Death is like a kiss from yourself. Your shadow comes back in and you embrace it. You embrace it with a kiss. And in that inhale, you bring in this new state of being just as one exhales the last. And this is what's so profoundly individual because we're all experiencing it in different ways and we're all expressing it in different ways. But what is 
the continuity here. The continuity is that that is a gate that we all reach. Absolutely. And there's not one person that could tell you exactly what's going to happen to you specifically. There are things that we've experienced where we can relate things over a generalized stance, but it seems that everything is really uh, individualized. And, you know, I've, for many, many years, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but I've really pushed my limits. I've really tried to kind of uh, go out there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. <laughs> just, you know, just, just throw myself out there. You know, I've had multiple experiences of of that letting go of the the human body and becoming uh, just consciousness. You know, like just dissolving boundaries. Uh, that's the only way I could describe it. Just dissolving boundaries so that you know I am the air. You know, you are the earth. You are the minerals and the life that's pulling. Yes, that energy. And it's the most incredible feeling, emotion, um, to actually, you know, it's, this is not an exercise, okay? Like, you know, a lot of people go on like meditative exercises and they, they kind of envision this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually dissolving the boundaries and being it. I can tell you it's the scariest feeling in the world is it's so frightening (laughs) to go there because you can feel the rejoining. You could feel the truth of what it actually is, but that there's a thing inside of you that is so fearful that if you stay one second longer, you're not going to come back. Yes. It's like, it's such a pull. I know this is all this the feeling. only thing I could describe it as. That there's this this pull, and it scares the crap out of you. I'm, I, that's the only thing I could say to people is like, uh, when I'll come back from it, and I'll be like, my heart would be pounding out of my chest, and I'm just like, oh, thank God, I'm 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 back, I'm back, thank God, you know. <laughs> so it's like we can have these experiences, and there's many techniques and, and meditations and. And things that could help dissolve those boundaries. But you need a strong foundation. You need a strong physical body for this to happen. You need a strong mind. Because this really gets into the whole mental health aspect of this thing, which literally nobody discusses this part. This is the this, this is a key in this whole process. Because I know that by getting into these realms for dissolving certain boundaries, there is literally no difference between going insane. Right. This is why I say in that, in the mantra I have is give me the strength and the fortitude to see the world as it really is, to see myself as I really am, to see others as they really are. But the, the key point of that whole mantra is, Give me the strength and the fortitude. This makes me responsible for understanding and perceiving and unlocking the information that is presented to me, both 
visually in the auditory realm, as well as all of the psychic body, the emotional body, all this experience that we we consider ourselves. If you don't have the strength, the courage, and the fortitude, you won't experience anything but fear. This kind of fear that we're talking about, it's primordial. It's something you can't even, there are no words for it. And I, I like you, I have often found myself, I, I don't even have words where I, I feel like I, I want to come back. I, wa- I don't want to lose myself, I guess, is a way. And yet at the same time, once these experiences are over, you realize you, you never lose yourself. We're not actually dead. And this fear that does creep up through the deepening of these experiences for me is always there at each new phase or each new layer I get to. But this is, I think, a good place for us to stop in the middle here and uh, take a break and we'll be back on the other side. But Jason, how do people find you in the outer world? Uh, My website is thecrystalsun.com and they could also find me on Amazon just by typing my name, Jason Quit. And my new book is The Egyptian Postures of Power mysticism, move, uh, meditations, and movements. Is there a way people can get a signed copy of that book? If they get it from the Crystal Sun website, I will sign it. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for coming to the Cosmic Salon for this first warm-up hour. We're going to get deep into it in the next hour. So until then. And there he goes. The one and only... Jason quit. And this was a remarkable conversation that was a joy to move through and edit. I want to thank the producers of this program. Yogi Chander, Cass, Christy Tesmer, Eric Peterson, Jason Lamson, J.H. Armstrong, Laura Dunn, Louise B., Marcy Shapiro, Mark Betcher, Melanie Poe, Michael Watcher, Michael Watts, Neil McNaughton, Noel Jeanette, still Fiona, and as always, Babs the Bone Knitter, my favorite genealogist, and JJ of Ren de Blanc Designs for hosting and taking care of all of the stuff in our live streams. Thank you very much, as well as all of the patrons through Patreon. I want to bring into the idea again, as always, at the end of these, that we are interacting within the simulacrum, that it is an interactive membrane, and that through acknowledging this, We become conscious. We become more conscious. It is consciousness in and of itself. It is the great womb, and we are within it. The dreamer loves the dream. The dreamer feeds the dream. The dreamer awakens within the dream. Thank you for being here in the Cosmic Salon.